members, I'm going to tell you that this series will be the most important series that I have ever preached. And I'll tell you why. Because this series is going to change this church. It's going to change the way we function as a church. And more than that, it's going to equip you, each and every one of you, to be the followers of Christ that Christ wants you to be. Now, here's what I think most of us know. Most of us understand this, that Christianity in North America is pretty watered down. In fact, we've got some major problems in that a lot of people who even go to church do not know, do not understand what it's really all about. So what's going to happen over these next seven weeks, uh, next eight weeks actually, is that you are going to learn what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. You're going to understand what you need to do and what you need to be. Uh, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to get really serious about following Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you that word serious. We had a bit of a debate about whether we should put that in the, the title, the series title. I wanted to put it in there to draw your attention to this problem that we have amongst so many believers. They, we find we have a generation of Christians who are only dabbling in the faith. And so really, really, we shouldn't really be putting that word serious in there because being a Christ follower implies seriousness. In fact, we understand that if you're a Christ follower, well, then you're serious about a walk with God. But the problem is, is that we kind of dabble in it. In fact, for many of us, it's not so much a walk with God as much as it is just a religion that we have given some sort of, um, uh, some sort of a, an allegiance to on some level. What we're calling for today is for you and me to take seriously this call to walk with Jesus. Now, in case you don't really know what I'm talking about, let me just give you an illustration. We've got a number of married people here today. And those who are not married, you're going to get this, so don't panic. We've got a number of married people here. What would happen, ladies or men, if your spouse came home one day and said, you know what, I don't really want to be that serious about a marriage. I think we're taking it to an extreme. I don't think we should be so serious. Let's relax a little bit and you know, maybe, uh, maybe this, let's sort of dabble in it and maybe do other things. Now, I know this. Unless you've you got a mental illness, there's nobody here that would go along with a half-hearted commitment in their marriage. Everybody here wants to have a marriage that's rich, that's strong, that's refreshing, that's encouraging, that gives life. There's nobody here would say to their spouse, you know what, yeah, you're right, we're, we're taking this far too serious. Let's relax a little bit. And, you know, if you want to go and have a fling once in a while, two thumbs up. Okay, maybe that works in Italy. <laughs> no offense to the Italians. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work on any level. What you need to understand is that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, then implied in the term Christ follower is seriousness. You take this seriously. It's the most important thing in your life. Now, some of you will remember that not that many weeks ago, we were talking about uh, Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. 
In fact, Dr. Martini mentioned that last week. But he talked about the, the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the, one of the sections in that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7 is that little section about the wide and the narrow road. And Jesus says that the wide road leads to destruction. And Jesus says basically everybody's on that road. You know, it's, that's the road that's paved with good intentions. That's the road where people are religious. That's the road where people say, yeah, I've got a certain allegiance to the church. That's the road that says, uh, I'm willing to be part of the church, but don't ask too much for me, Pastor. I'm willing to come to church. I'm willing to sing the songs. I'm even willing to come to your missions banquet. I'm willing to throw a few bucks into the offering plate. But, Pastor, don't go overboard. Don't, let's not get too serious about this. Let's not be too extreme. Let's not be too radical. Radical was the other word that I was going to put in there. Seven, the seven habits of radical Christ followers. But it too is redundant because here's what you need to understand is that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it's going to be radical, it's going to be serious, and we could use a few other adjectives to explain or help us to understand that we mean business. Jesus says the wide road, the road that leads to destruction, it's wide and everybody's on it and it's, you know, it's, it's the easy road. But then Jesus talks about the road that he's on and that he invites his listeners to be on. He calls it the narrow road. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And only if you find it. So then I was thinking, well, maybe we should call this series The Seven Habits of the Few. But I knew that most people would not get that. But certainly implied in this is that. The seven habits of the few, the few people that are ready to say, okay, you know what? I mean business with God. I, I'm, I'm serious about this walk with God. I don't want to dabble anymore. I don't want to play at this anymore. I want to do it right. You say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I think I get that. Well, let me, help you, let me give you another illustration to help you understand this. Has anybody ever dabbled at trying to lose weight? <laughs> don't look at anybody, please. <laughs> Don't give any of the, anybody the impression that you think they should. <laughs> Don't do that. So I'm going to look up. Um, you know as well as I do that if you're going to get serious about losing weight, then you have to be actually serious about it. You can't dabble at it. In fact, if anything, here's what you will discover. If you dabble at trying to lose weight, it messes with your metabolism. And next thing you know, nothing works. And now you're not losing weight. Well, guess what? The same is true. And let the Spirit of God speak to your heart now. The same is true in the spiritual realm. You start dabbling and playing around with this thing, and soon you, you don't know what reality is, and now your spiritual metabolism is being messed with, and you don't understand why you can't have a strong walk with God. So today what we want to do is we want to begin the series. Uh, before we actually talk about the seven habits, I want to just talk to you about habits. Because if, if anything marks our faith, it's that we are supposed to be a disciplined people. For over 250, 250 references in the New Testament are used to refer to us as Christians, and that's the word dis, disciple. So 250 occurrences of that term disciple. That's the term that's used to describe those of us who follow Jesus. So if you're a Christian today, we can call you a Christ follower, or alternately, we can call you a disciple. 
Now, you, for some of you will say, well, that sounds like the word discipline. Well, you're, you're bright if you figured that out because the term discipline and the term disciple have at its root that word uh, from the Latin, which means pupil. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ are, in fact, pupils of Jesus Christ. You are students of Jesus Christ. You are students of his teachings. And what you're going to discover from Jesus Christ is he's teaching you habits or he's teaching you disciplines that help you in your walk with God. That's the teachings of Christ. It's how to live, what to do to please God. And so what we'll be doing over the next number of weeks is we'll be teaching you these disciplines. Now, I've called them habits rather than disciplines because for some people, the term discipline has very negative connotations. And so we're using that word habit to understand and to explain how you and I need to live our Christian life. What are the practices that we need to have in order to please God? Now, listen to this. Charles G. Noble says this. He says, first we make our habits then our habits make us. And so if you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to please God, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to adapt or embrace these habits, start living them, and then very soon these habits that you call your own will actually shape who you are. They will transform you. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 12, the first few verses. He says this, he says, be transformed how? By the renewing of your minds. How do we renew our mind? Well, folks, this this book, in case you don't know it, is actually a roadmap that tells us how to make it, remember, on that narrow road. It tells us how to make it on this journey. And so this morning we recognize that We need God's guidance. We need God's direction. And every time we do what God tells us to do, it shapes us. It transforms us. It makes us into the people that God wants us to be. Now, I'd like you to look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, It's from the Message Bible, 1 Timothy 4, 7-9. It's a message translation. I love love this translation. Uh, Maybe read it with me. Ready? Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness. Please, workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. Isn't that fantastic? I think you should go home and write that on the wall of your living room. This is a constant reminder of how God wants you to live. God wants you to be disciplined. In fact, God is saying that... Uh, through the Apostle Paul, God is saying that your spiritual exercises, your spiritual habits are far more important than your physical ones. Now, in case anybody goes away from here thinking, oh, Pastor Allen's against exercise. I'm not against that. I may look like it, (laughs) but I'm not against it. And I'm I'm, I'm actually not above exercising once in a while myself. I'm not against good nutrition. I'm not against these things. In fact, I'm for them in a big way. But the Apostle Paul is saying this to his young protege, Timothy. Remember, Timothy's a young man in the ministry. And this, uh, this passage that I'm reading to you this morning comes right out of, the, out of the letter that the Apostle Paul has written to his young protege, Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you know, going for a jog is good. I don't know if you said it exactly like that. But going for a jog, going to the gym to exercise, it's good stuff. But better than that is your spiritual discipline, your habits. 
And so it's a critical, it's, it's very important that all of us understand today the importance of developing these habits in our lives. Because I know that there are many people, even here today, who really don't know what's involved in following Jesus. They really don't know what they're supposed to do from day to day. So the good news is that you're going to find out. You're going to find out everything you need to know. And it gets even better, folks. Listen to this. This church is, is, is going in a new direction. From now on, everything that you hear over the next seven to eight weeks is going to become part of the DNA of our church, and everything we do around here is going to serve to strengthen you in these habits and to encourage you and to hold you accountable and to spur you on doing the things that God wants you to do. I'm really excited about this. You come to youth group, you're going to get the habits. You come to WM, you're going to get the habits. You come to men's ministry, you're going to get the habits. When you, wherever you go, whatever you do in this church or through this church, going on missions trips, it's going to be all about the habits. The habits that are critical for you to be a healthy Christ follower. Now, let me say this to you today. Um, Christianity in North America and I think many of you will know this, is rather, it's rather weak. We've, we've lost a lot of ground. We've lost a lot of credibility. And I'm going to tell you why. If you ask the average person who does not go to church and maybe is even a little hostile toward the church, if you ask them their opinion of Christians, here's what they're probably going to say. They're a bunch of... Uh, you've heard this, haven't you? You know this. You know it. They're, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And what are they going to say about the church? The church is critical, it's judgmental, it's condemning. I'm going to tell you something. They did not get that message by accident. It's because of the way we live and it's because of the way that we function as believers. So I am just naive enough and idealistic and optimistic enough to believe this. I believe that we can change that perception. One believer at a time and one church at a time. I believe that we can make a difference in this world by demonstrating to our world what it's really all about. But it begins with you. Now, I've had, I had a, a couple that were really quite angry at me because I refused to join them in going to, to pray with other churches for revival in the city. Okay, so it's a very long story, but I, I need you to trust me on this, to trust that I made the right decision. And here's what I said. I said, before God will ever pour out any kind of revival on our church or on our city or on our country, there's, first of all, there's got to be a change in the hearts of all believers. We've got to get to the place where we understand that we are not living the way God has called us to live. And so if we are going to take seriously the call to follow Jesus Christ, that means we're going to have to change the way we live from day to day. Some of you will remember that I talked about the dailiness of the Christian faith. This faith that we call Christianity is a faith that is based on a daily walk with God. And here's the thing. For so many people, Christianity is just a religion, something that's practiced on Sunday for an hour. It's like a be, it's a be kind to God part of the week. You know, I'm going go to go to, go to church, put a fiver in the plate, you know, assuage my conscience, and I'll feel better. Okay? Like, this is not Christianity. I don't know what that is. It's just some kind of strange religion you picked up. What I'm talking about here and what Cross Church is about is a daily walk with God. And that's what we'll be discussing in the weeks to come. In fact, before we close the service, I'm going to get you started on the first habit. 
Again, before we get to those habits, there's a few things we need to clarify. We got a problem. We got a problem, Houston. We're about to crash. The church is in trouble. Professor uh, Jonathan Lund, he addresses this crisis like this. He calls it a discipleship process, uh, crisis. It's a discipleship crisis. There's a lack of a discipleship process in churches, and people are simply not being discipled. They don't know what they're supposed to know. So here's the scary thing. Are you ready for this, guys? Okay, so this is a message for Alan Duncalf, and if there's any other ministers in the room, this is for you. Is that it's, it's me and all those who are called to be pastors. We're the ones that are going to have to give an account to God for the state of the church in North America. There's only two things that scare the daylights out of me, and that's one of them. Standing before God and having to give an account for the job that I did as a pastor. The second thing that I'm afraid of is doing anything to cause disunity in the church. But that's, that's, a, that's another sermon. My job, folks, Mark's job, Andrew's job, Marilyn Wedlick's job, the job of all our staff, is to get you safely home. Can I tell you that again? My job is to get you safely home. You, what you don't know as, as your pastor is I... I, I wake at 3 or 4 in the morning and, and some of you come to my mind and I pray for you. And if I don't see you around, I text you. You know that. Some of you are recipients of those texts. And I'm not bugging you. I'm loving you. Right? I care about you. Because I have to give an account to God for you someday. So here's the thing. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to have a great big family reunion, a great big cross-church family reunion. We're all going to get together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to talk about how we got over, how we, got to, how we all got to heaven. We'll talk about the struggles and the pains and the difficulties and the great times. It's going to be fantastic. And the only thing that's going to make me sad is that there might be a few of you that don't make it. My job is to make sure that you all make it. My job is to make sure that you all make it safely home. Now, you know what I talk about when I say make it safely home. I don't mean like drive out of the parking lot and make it to your house. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making it safely home to eternal life. Now, the only way that that's going to happen, folks, is that you need to learn these habits and then you need to embrace them and live them out. You need to learn what it means to be a serious Christ follower. So, Professor Lund talks about this discipleship crisis. Here's what he says. He says, many believe that they're living the Christian life. Lund believes that from their viewpoint, they are. So I, again, I don't want anybody going away from here saying, Pastor Allen's judging me. No, I'm not judging you. I'm informing you. I'm teaching you. It's my job. So Lund says that these people, from their viewpoint, they're serving God. At least they're serving God as it has been presented to them. But these watered-down versions are not adequately preparing us for living as disciples today. This is his point. Lund explains the dilemma. He says, our youth, and in our case, it's not just our youth, it's, it's, really, it's really everybody, are embracing a Christianity which falls far short of the truth. And why do you think it is that, the, that this truth that's being presented is not the full truth? It's because it's not being preached. So here's the thing that, that is taught to pastors. When pastors go away to pastors' conferences, you wonder, well, what do they do there? Well, we're not going gambling or anything like that. We're going there to, to, supposedly to get better and to learn more. 
And so some of the things that we'll, we'll hear taught is uh, we've got to make church a comfortable place for people to be. So, and i got to tell you, I don't find that really anywhere in the Scripture. And we, gotta, we don't want to say anything that will, will offend people, especially we don't want to offend the believers. Well, here's, here's or the, the, the non-believer, the one who doesn't know Jesus yet. So here's what I know about the one who doesn't know Christ yet or who is not yet following Christ yet. I know that he's not stupid. I know that she's not stupid. I know that if he or she has come through these doors and has come to this place, it's because they know they need something more than, than what this world is offering them. They need the truth. And the Bible says that when you know the truth, when you have the truth, it, it sets you free. My job then is to t- teach you the truth. And regardless of how offensive or strange it may seem, I still must communicate it to you. Because guess what? I'm not the Holy Spirit. There's something supernatural that takes place when you come from the, through those doors and find your play, yourself here in our church. You show up here and the Holy Spirit appears and shows up and begins to move in your heart and in your mind and begins to take the veil from your eyes so that you can see truth. I believe that. That's why when you come to church, you don't get a comedy show. I could tell you jokes. I got tons of jokes. I got books. I got a book this fat full of jokes that pastors can tell. I'm not kidding you. If you see my library, you can, you'll see it for yourself. I got lots of books, great anecdotes for, to complement your sermon. Okay, you know, I got nothing against, I got nothing against the anecdotes or the jokes, whatever. But here's what you've come for. You've come for truth. The truth that transforms you. The truth that changes you. The truth that makes you fit for heaven. My job is to make sure that you get that. And so that's why I tell anybody who says, I want to be a pastor, I say, don't do it. you out of your mind? Do you know what you really are asking yourself for? Getting yourself set up for? Instead of true Christianity, Lund says that most people nowadays in North America are practicing what has been dubbed, listen to this, this is great, a moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD. Can I say it again? It's kind of fun to say. Therapeutic, moralist, uh, moralistic, therapeutic deism. What is it saying here? Most churches, when people come to church, they're getting a therapy session. This, folks, I'm not a therapist. I'm not your psychologist. I'm not here to give you the latest theory in pop psychology so that you can have a better marriage or a better family life or whatever. Although I do believe the Bible addresses that. But I'm not a pop psychologist. I'm not a therapist, and I'm not here just to teach you uh, good moralistic stories to help you be more moral. I could sit up here and read to you Aesop's fables, full of great moralistic fables that will help you be a better person. But here's what we know. We know that therapy is not enough. We know that that moralistic philosophizing and and teaching is not enough. What, What do we need? We need to be transformed supernaturally. The do-it-yourself approach to Christianity doesn't work. It's bankrupt. And we see it how by the fact that Christian, the Christian church is actually on the decline. The numbers of Christians in North America is actually declining now, whereas before it was on the increase. And it's been declining for some time. So what do we do? 
What do we do to, to, change the, to change the picture? The thing that I've got to do is I've got to be careful to teach you what it really means to be a Christ follower. I've got to teach you the habits that you need to practice on a daily basis so that your life will be transformed. Remember, folks, when you embrace the habit, the habit embraces you. Now, someone said it takes about 40 days for you to establish a new habit, 40 days for you to change. And so in a few moments, I'm going to tell you what habit I'd like you to begin this week. But you know that, that we'll begin a process of transformation in this church that I pray and believe will cause a sort of revival in our midst. What do I mean by that? I mean that your spouse, who has been actually secretly wondering whether you're even converted or not, will actually say, I guess he is a Christian. <laughs> your kids, you've been dragging them to church and, and, and lecturing them and telling them how to live, and meanwhile they're wondering, man, I don't even know if mom and dad are even true Christians. They think like that. They don't, maybe can't verbalize it the way I just did, but they'll use words like hypocrite to describe you. He's one way on Sunday, but boy, during the week, he's another kind of guy. I want no part of that. How many people do you know who have fallen away from Christ because the, the message was not consistent, either in the home or in the church? We want to see you transformed because you've embraced these habits. And by the way, these habits are, are none other than the very teachings of Jesus Christ and how God wants you to live your life. So here's a, here's a neat thing. Because some of you are sitting here today thinking, man, I've got, I've got some bad habits I've got to deal with. Pastor, what am I going to do about these bad habits? Well, I've got some good news for you. In fact, I've got some amazing news for you. As you adopt these seven habits, these commands, these teachings of Jesus Christ, here's what's going to happen. Because all of us have heard the, the, or read the books and heard the, the speeches and the, the motivational speeches about how you can change your bad habits. But the fact of the matter is you probably can't. But the good news is, as you, as you embrace the teachings of Jesus Christ, as you adopt these habits that Jesus wants you to have, these disciplines, here's what happens. Those bad habits begin to fall away. Those bad habits that are haunting you even now. Some of you are sitting here today and you think, man, uh, Pastor, if you only knew some of my bad habits, if you only knew the struggles that I've had, well, guess what? God knows them. And God wants to set you free. He wants to give you liberty. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. How do you get that? Very simply, by exchanging the bad habits for the good habits. You can't stop the bad habits, but the bad habits can be eliminated by developing new habits. And so as you adopt these seven habits, as you embrace these seven habits, those bad habits that you're struggling with right now, those, seven, those bad habits that you've got will be overwhelmed by the seven habits of the, of the Christ life. Now, the faith that you have embraced says that these godly seven habits will actually be more useful to you today and in the future than, in, uh, than any of your other good habits. Look at the, this next verse from, uh, it's, it's the next part of Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 7, uh, uh, verse 10. It says, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope in the living God, 
who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. I am not suggesting to you that over the next seven weeks this is going to be easy. It's, it's not. It's, look at the words here. Paul, Paul says it's, it's, it's hard work. You've got to continue. You've got to persevere in this. It's a struggle. But here's what you need to know. And this is the power of the church, which you're going to find out about. The power of the church is that all of us are working on the same habits together. And when you come to church on Sunday, and this is why you can't miss, when you come to church on Sunday, we encourage each other in our habits. We ask, how's it going? And now when I ask you, how is, how's it going? You actually know what I'm talking about. It's not sort of a vague question. It's a specific question. How are the habits going in your life? And it's at that time you say, Pastor, most of it's going good, but I'm having a struggle in this area, this area, this area. Can you pray with me? Uh, maybe you're not talking to me, but the person beside you, can you pray with me? And when you send your kids to Sunday school, they're hearing the same message. Did you know that the church is a place where we all come together with the same pursuit, the same goal, and that's to follow Jesus? This is the place where you and I encourage each other and inspire each other to keep it up and not to give up. This is the place where we are inspired by one another's stories of faithfulness and working hard. How important are these habits? Well, I'm going to tell you this. It's critical, not just for your own development, but for the, for the development of your children, for the development of your marriage. And get look at this. And even for your testimony to the people that you work with. Don't, please don't tell your friends and your neighbors that you're Christ, or Christian if you're not going to live it out because you just really make it hard for me and everybody else. So just, keep, just keep your mouth shut. Unless you're serious about following Christ, then by all means, tell them that you're a believer. Proverbs 18, verse 9 says this, Slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. Isn't that good? Slack habits, sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. Now listen, I can't think of a better description of what lazy Christians have done to Christianity. I'm going to tell you, people who are not fully committed to Christ and who are not functioning in these seven habits, you are vandalizing the church. You're vandalizing the faith. You are vandalizing our testimony. So if you're going to be serious about following Christ, then you can't be slack in this. You've got to, it's got to be all in or nothing. You say, Pastor, what if I want to come to church, but I don't really want to follow the habits? Well, you know what? Good, come to church. And maybe at some point along the line, something will twig in your head and your heart, and you'll recognize what you're missing. But I'm going to tell you, for the rest of you who are serious about really going on with God and really seeing your life transformed, then you're going to have to adopt this. Now, let me just tell you something about discipline and self-discipline. There's a, an author by the name of Kopp Koppmeyer. His first name's Kopp and his second name is Koppmeyer. I think his mother and father were lacking some imagination there. But he wrote uh, four books, and in the course of these four books, he's got 1,000 success principles. 1,000 success principles. I, I mean, if you can get your head around two or three, you're doing well. But he's got 1,000 of them. And somebody, understandably, asked him the question, uh, Cop, hey, Cop, what's, what, of all the 1,000 principles for success, which is the most important? And this is what he said. He said, without a doubt, 
It's self-discipline. It's, it's habits, good habits. Here's what he says. The ability to make yourself do what you should do and, and when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not, has the power to transform your life. Now, here's what I know, is that there's a lot of books out there, a lot of do-it-yourself books that give lots of great advice, and, and they'll tell you you should be doing this, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. There's all sorts of things you should be doing. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Would you actually get those off your book, out of your bookcase, and would you just do what I tell you to do? Okay, throw out the other books and, and read my book. And my book says you've got to follow these commands of Christ, because when you follow these commands of Christ... When you make the effort to be self-disciplined in carrying out these habits, folks, it's going to radically change your life. It's going to bring a level of success and happiness to your life unlike anything else. To confirm this, psychologists and sociologists have done a study to see what happens when people are self-disciplined. What does it do? Uh, in fact, you maybe have heard some of the studies. There's, there was one on, on um, gratification, and those who could be disciplined enough as children to hold off in getting what they want, they were the ones that grew up to be more successful than those who needed self-gratification instantly. You've heard, the, you've heard the story. Psychologists have discovered that the payoff for practicing self-discipline is, in fact, immediate. It happens immediately. Here's what they say. Whenever you discipline yourself, whenever you adapt to a habit or adopt a habit... You discipline yourself and you force yourself to do the right thing, whether you feel like it or not. And here's what they say. You will, in fact, learn to be able to respect yourself more. What do I mean by respect yourself more? Well, it means when you look in the mirror, uh, you like what you see. How many of us looked in the mirror and go, oof, don't want to see myself? In those moments when I felt like I wasn't, wasn't measuring up or wasn't doing what I should be doing, I was unhappy with my life, wasn't as disciplined as I should be. Those are the moments, man, I just didn't feel good about myself. Everybody here knows what I'm talking about. There's nobody here that doesn't know what I'm saying right now. I mean, none of us here this morning have, have looked in the mirror and always loved what we see, unless you've you got some kind of a narcissistic uh, mental disability. I don't know. But everybody here knows what I'm talking about when, when I say, I've looked in the mirror and not liked what I've seen. The psychologist will say this, that the thing that will bring you joy and make you like yourself and like what you see in the mirror is the ability to follow through on, on discipline, on self-discipline. And furthermore, they say this, your self-esteem increases, your self-image improves, your brain releases endorphins, which make you feel happy and gratified. You actually get a payoff every time you hold your own feet to the fire. In other words... Every time you force yourself to do what you know you need to do, you actually come out feeling happy. Now, let me let you all in on a little secret. What the psychologists are just figuring out now, what they're describing, is what, what the Bible describes. It's, it's, the, it's basically the, the, the Christian doctrine of, of Christian joy. Every time you obey God, every time you do what God calls you to do, every time you do what God wants you to do, the byproduct of that is joy. So I have people say to me, you know, Pastor, I don't feel very happy. I've lost my joy. I don't know what happened to my joy. My peace is gone. And my response to that is simple. You need to do what Jesus tells you to do. 
Because every time you obey Christ, every time you practice these habits, you will experience the fruit of obedience, which is joy. Now, you don't need a psychologist to tell you that because the Word of God tells you that. What brings joy and peace and happiness and all the wonderful, warm, fuzzy feelings that everybody likes, the thing that brings that into your life is obedience to God. It's discipline. Or as we're putting it, it's embracing and living out the habits. You want joy in your life? Well, here's the thing that I know is that if our church decides to take seriously the pastor's call to live these seven habits out, here's what I know. We are going to have a wave of deliriously joyful people in this church. And so rather than coming to church and sitting like this, which some of you are right now, you'll be sitting forward with a great big smile on your face and you'll be saying, Pastor, tell me more, tell me more. I'm joking with you a little bit, but I tell you, that was the early church. That was the early church. A joy and an excitement about meeting together with other believers who were on the same journey and doing the same things that they were. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, some of you have heard of him. He was a, a, a political prisoner of the Russians. He uh, wrote a number of massive books. Uh, I love the Russian novelists and writers. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was both an author of um, fiction, but he also reported his observations of what he saw as a Russian, observing what's happened to his country. Almost 100 years ago, he heard this question in his native country. Why have all these bad things happened to Russia? Why has, Russian, why has Russia had so many bad things happen to it? And then Alexander says, the answer came from the old people. Quote, men have forgotten God. That's why all, this bad th all these bad things have happened to us. Now, Alexander, not spiritual at that time, heard that and said, oh, it sounds like, you know, typical answer of old people. Men have forgotten God. So for the next 50 years, he observed the revolution in Russia, the Marxist revolution, and he wrote his thoughts. He committed to paper his own experiences as a prisoner of the gulags. And at the end of the 50 years, when it came time for him to come up with his conclusion as to why Russia was in the terrible state that it was in, and by the way, it's still in a terrible state, this is what he wrote. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. He came to the same conclusion as the old people. I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart because some of you have wondered, why have these bad things happened to me? Why have these bad things happened to my marriage, to my family? Why have these bad things happened to me at work? Why are these bad things happening? And the answer, very simply, it sounds simplistic, but now I'm quoting a man who observed for 50 years. The answer is that we have forgotten God. 
That's why all this has happened. What I'm calling this church to right now is back to the seven habits, the things that we do because we call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Here's what I can tell you for sure, and this is a money-back guarantee. You do these seven habits over the next numbers of weeks, and I'm going to guarantee you, your life will begin to change in ways that will blow you away. Those struggles that you've got right now, those problems that you're experiencing, those bad habits that you're wrestling with, that guilt, that shame that you're suffering with, we've got an answer for that. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth to teach us. You embrace these heaven habits, and you're going to begin to see a change in your marriage. You're going to begin to see a change in your life. And I don't have time right now to explain to you why. And I can, by the way. And you will learn, by the way. But what I'm talking about is my own walk with God over 30 years and what I've discovered. It's my job to share that with you. I'm going to guarantee you, your life will change. Your business will change. Your school will change. Your workplace will change. It's all going to change, folks. Because what's happening now is that rather than looking for a change in the people around you, the change begins in you. And the change happens because you've adapted these seven habits. Now, I told you I was going to set you off on the first habit. You ready for this? I'm very excited about this. Because what's going to happen now, those who are serious, really serious about following Jesus... You're going to embark on a new journey that's literally going to change your life. The very first habit that you need to begin to practice starting today, because some of you haven't done this for a long time, and I'm not condemning or judging. I'm here to encourage you to help you get on track. When you leave here today, you're going to go and have a little visit with God. This, my friends, is the very first habit of every believer, every Christ follower. You're saying, Pastor, what on earth are you talking about? Well, let me put it in language that maybe you recognize. You're going to have a conversation with God. Don't get that? You're going to go and have a little walk and a talk with God. Don't get that? You're going to go and do devotions. God has called you and me into relationship with him, and you've heard me say it many, many times, the basis, the foundation of this Christian faith is built on this relationship with God. You talk to God, and God's going to talk to you. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Does, will God actually speak to me? Absolutely. Here's what happens. You go talk to God. We actually call that prayer. And so when you go into prayer, folks, I want you to talk to God like he's your friend, not like he's the Buddha or something, or something strange that you've... It's, it's, he's your heavenly father. Talk to him like you talk to dad. Tell him what's in your heart. Tell him what you're feeling. Tell him what you're thinking. And then let him talk to you. You say, well, Pastor, how do I let God talk to me? I'm glad you asked that question, because, folks, this is the Bible, and this actually is the book that when you read it, God will speak to you. Here's what I do. 
I take a ruler and a pen, and as I'm reading it, when something really powerful jumps out at me, I just simply underline it, make a little note in the margin. And then I take that little thing that God has said to my heart, and I say, God, help me to live this out. God, help me to do this. God, help me to, help me to be transformed by what I've just heard you tell me. I want you to do this every, every day for, for the next week and for the weeks to follow. Here's what I know is going to happen. If everybody here does what I'm telling them to do, pray and read your Bible every day, next week when you come to church, you're going to be really pumped and excited about your faith. In fact, uh, Barry will not have to tell anybody to raise your hands because you'll be doing it on your own because you will have been in the presence of God every day this past week. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, how much time should I spend with God? You can, I could throw it right back at you. How much time would you like to spend with your, with your spouse, with your best friend? Give God at least 15 minutes. Would you do that? Put earplugs in your ears. Get away to a, to a quiet corner. Turn the music off, please. And you know, do it. If you're a mother with lots of kids around you, do it. Susanna Wesley did. Throw your apron over your head so you're all alone with God. But give God at least 15 minutes. And if you feel like staying longer, by all means, stay longer in the presence of God. This is called walking with God. This is the first habit. Every single serious Christ follower spends time with God every day. Taking some time to read the Bible, taking some time to pray. You say, Pastor, where should I read? You can start in the New Testament. That's what I would recommend. Maybe start in the book of Matthew or any one of the books. Don't start in Revelation, please. It's a little too complicated for some of you. Although I have to say, I read the book of Revelation when I was just about nine or ten years old and was, to me, the most exciting book I ever read. What do, I, what do I know? What do I know for sure? Is that if you take the time to spend time with God, your life will be absolutely transformed. And you will be on, well on the way to establishing habit a habit taking about 40 days to develop. 40 days of meeting with God every day will become your habit and it will revolutionize your life. Would you stop me, please? Do you know what? This walking with God is so important and so critical that for our staff... Pastors Andrew and Mark and Marilyn and everybody else, we're, we ask everybody to spend at least an hour to, a day, every day, an hour every day in prayer and in the word so that we are fit to teach you and lead you. Because remember, our goal is to get you safely home. And I can tell you this, if you're praying, reading your Bible every day, you're going to make it home safely. Father, as we go from this place right now, we pray that you would go with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for this, this divine and supernatural relationship you've called us to have with you. I pray, God, that you help each one here as they leave this place to pick up the Bible, to blow off the dust, and to allow you to speak to them once again. Thank you, God, that you've called us to come and pour out our hearts to you. And you love us. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. But just a the love of a father with arms wide open, inviting us home. Father, go with us as we go from this place. 
And may we be transformed as we embrace these habits. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go walk with God.